First of all, I love that he called you out on like the classic savage response because you do do that. Like you mean it. You're like, that's awesome. I do mean it. No, I know you mean it, but you're like, that's cool. That's awesome. <laughs> that's sick. And I'm like, I know you mean it, but why? Why are you giving me like shark eyes? <laughs> Um, this is called talking very intensely. And uh, <laughs> I've been told sometimes that my intense stare can be intimidating when I mean it to be genuine. Hello and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. I'm joined by Sylvie Lubauer, producer extraordinaire. Sylvie, we got another great one today. Got another great one. Yes. They're pretty much always great these days. They're always perfect. That's what I think. It's a perfect show. It's a perfect recording every time. There's never any errors. We're checking all the boxes. <laughs> Nothing goes wrong on our show. <laughs> so not true. Um, well, we have a great guest today, Patrick Campbell, who's the co-founder and CEO of ProfitWell. And he is now the chief strategy officer at Paddle because he just sold his company, ProfitWell, to Paddle for over $200 million. So wild. Very wild. We're going to get into all that. We're going to get into all of that, yes, as we get into the interview. But first, it's basically, is it summer? No, it's not technically. It's late spring right now. Late spring. What's the first day of summer, technically? I'm going to go after the summer equinox, so June 21st. All right. That's right. I checked it. <laughs> in the Northern Hemisphere, let's be clear. The Southern <laughs> Hemisphere is completely different, but in the Northern Hemisphere, Summer starts June 21st. You heard it here first. <laughs> you are clearly talking too loud about the equinox and being right about the equinox. Those two. Um, I'm talking too loud about a lifeguard shortage. Have you read about this? You know, I just heard that there is a lifeguard yeah. shortage in New York City. No, no, across the country. I haven't heard. Across I didn't the know country. it was a national issue. I just thought it was a regional issue. It's a national issue. I was reading about Arizona, how temps are getting hotter, so people want to go to public pools. Yeah. They can't. They can't because there are no lifeguards. That is an issue. That is a very big issue. So, listeners, if you have some free time. If you happen to be 15 years old and you're trying to figure out what to do this summer, go do some quick lifeguard training, demand double the normal rate, and uh, you can be out there protecting the public at the pools. Listen, there's no age limit on lifeguarding, okay? That's all I have to say. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> now I don't know. Maybe you can't be a senior citizen and a lifeguard, but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Um, well, Patrick Campbell probably knows. I mean, he's a data guy. He probably has an idea. He's a data guy. He can probably Google things as well as we can. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. <laughs> it's chaos today. But you know what? This is another what? perfect episode. Nothing ever goes wrong. That's right. This will be, be unedited. Um, so it does <laughs> seem like the time to get into this interview with Patrick. Seems like the time. Okay, here we go.
Patrick, congratulations and welcome on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Good to see you. I do like how we just reverted to our public personas. That's how you do it. Just a you know? phone call that we would normally it's have. That's exactly right. Like, hey, man, what's going on? <laughs> That's how we normally would do it. So I'm going to redo that and go, hey, what's up, man? I'm going to I'm gonna do a classic. No, that was perfect. <laughs> on, just keep I, it real. Keep it as real as possible. We like the high energy. So I'm very excited to have you on Talking Too Loud. And I know... You have some things that you're talking too loud about. So I have to ask the question, what has got you talking too loud these days? Can you truly talk too loud? That's a real question that we should all, we should all really ask ourselves. According to my wife, yes. Savage can. <laughs> yeah. Savage can. Uh, I will say, I'm talking too loud. Um, we just sold, merged, however you want to put it, uh, ProfitWell. So we were... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I'm going to be nice and uh, confident. We were one of, if not the first B2B brand to run a media strategy. Um, we obviously had a good product too. I don't think we were just gotten bought for the media strategy, but we have now uh, exited the company and it's not a, hey, we're going to go and see you later. It's a, we're merging. Um, I already got a neon paddle symbol behind good me job. in the studio and everything here. Yes. And so, so fresh. Um, yeah, we just sold for over $200 million. Um, that's the fun banner number. Um, we're going to be cranking moving forward on, you know, kind of now a unicorn, I'm on the board, the chief strategy officer, and going to be kind of moving forward with like trying to uh, do all I can to help the team kind of will this thing to IPO and kind of beyond here. So yeah, that's what I'm talking too loud about. Well, congratulations, bud. I mean, I remember, I mean, we've known each other for a long time in the very early stages. There was a lot of, there was a lot of craziness that you had to overcome. A lot of turmoil. That's true. Yeah. For people who don't know, can you tell us like what is ProfitWell? And also like how did it get started? How did you join? Yeah, good question. So ProfitWell, we're in the business of what's called revenue automation for subscription businesses. And that's a um, industry phrase for you plug uh, your subscription business. Doesn't matter if you're a B2B SaaS company or a consumer subscription or whatever it is. Um, you plug your billing system into ProfitWell. Uh, you get a bunch of free financial reporting. We have about 30,000 different subscription companies using that free metrics reporting. And then the way we make money, because that product's free, is we study all of that data. And then we have a couple of different products that automatically reduce your churn and then optimize your pricing. And so that's kind of the revenue automation piece. And it's this kind of new wave of software of, um, we're calling it do it for you. It's very similar to what Paddle does for billing. But you know, instead of you know you having to become an expert in credit cards or how to get someone back whose credit card has failed or how to get someone who's churned back, um, we are the experts in that because we have all the data. And then you know we do it for you, as in like you don't have to set up the product; you just plug it in and it does its job. And so, yeah, brands that use us, everyone from Canva to Autodesk and Lyft and uh, Blue Bottle Coffee, all kinds of subscription companies under the sun. Um, in terms of how we started, my background's in econometrics and math. It's code for having a lot of friends as a child. Um, <laughs> it also makes me uh, fun. You know, it's funny. I've said that joke so many times. I need to like be honest with people. Um, it's my favorite joke that I've come up with. Uh, and it I think still uh, is. I, I do need to retire at some point. I know. That's why I was like, I'm going to review Use that. the old standby. Um, yeah. You know, you got to do what you got to do. Like, you know, dog and pony shows, uh, you know, work for a reason. But um, yeah, so I started my career. I worked in U.S. intelligence. Um, I worked at at NSA. Kind of fun. It sounds so much sexier than it actually was. It was a really fulfilling job. Some of the best training I've ever had. Uh, And then um, I worked at Google and then I jumped into the startup scene. And really specifically how this got started is 
I was working at a company on pricing and kind of was thinking about how pricing was like this thing that everyone knows is important. It has really high impact, but like all of these smart people that can take on any problem in a business, as soon as you give them pricing, they all get kind of like emotional and a, I don't know. And then like, no one ever does anything. Right. And so um, I thought that was really interesting. And I got linked up with a couple of, you know, I would say like founding advisors is probably the best way to kind of put them um, in the Boston scene. And I'd never done this before and kind of jumped in and, you know, the rest is somewhat history. So yeah, that's kind of the, the starting point, if that makes sense. There's a lot of interesting things, I think, in there. There's a lot of lessons. Like one, you saw this opportunity mm-hmm. in pricing and you went after it yeah. and you you all did consulting for a long time. We worked with you and you helped us like figure out our pricing a couple of times, which is huge. And you're exactly right. It is emotional. And before that, it was a debate. And often you just copy other people too. You're just like, see yeah. some other pricing model, like they must have it figured out. So like, I'll just do what they're doing. And then of course they don't have it figured out because they're making decisions the same way. Yeah. It is such a lever. It's such a crazy important lever. And then you got to the business mm-hmm. model and the product with profit well, which I remember thinking at the time, like this is pretty wild because you had a bunch of competition and you made the core product totally free. Yeah. yeah. So what's funny is like the reason, well, so to back up a second, like the funny thing about pricing is the impact that you just said, and no one does the research. No one does. Even now, like we, we just, we've, we've helped, you know, a thousand companies with their pricing at this point. Yeah. And like, it's still only a dent in the greater industry. And whenever you're doing competitive based pricing, the problem is, is like one, you always over index, like how competitive your market actually is. And like two, you're literally copying like the dumb kid in class. Like you're copying off the dumb kid in class because they didn't do their homework either, you know? And so it's, it's one of those things that, that I'm glad you kind of brought up because I think it's, it is such an important lever. And we were trying to not only with our content, but also with that, that product, like just make it easier, just make it a little bit easier, right? It's still hard, but like make it a little bit easier. And I think that what I really appreciate in hindsight, and it's like, it's definitely post hoc rationalization is that I don't think we would have been successful definitely from a financial standpoint, um, but also from like a knowledge standpoint if we hadn't started with that pricing product, because we had this like idea of, we wanted to get to kind of a pure software product and price intelligently has some software with it, but it's not like the way that you interface with our customers, more of a service basis. So we wanted to get a better way to get the data that we needed. And so we kind of came up with this idea and I haven't really talked about this in a long time, but we had this idea of like, like, what if you were the new relic of revenue, like application monitoring? Like, what if you're monitoring revenue and then able to point out like where people suck at certain things in their business? Well, you can't do it for all types of businesses because the search space is too wide. But if it was just subscription businesses, like every subscription business, like we could probably create like a unified theory of subscription growth, right? Like, because every single one, no matter the subvertical, is very similar in how they think about things, like in terms of lifetime value and CAC and these types of things. So this is where this metrics product came from. And we were helping a company who was about to IPO with their pricing and they were calculating MRR and churn incorrectly. Mm. And so we were like, we're going to be rich. We're going to be billionaires. Like we're going to get Ferraris. I don't think anyone of us actually wants a Ferrari, <laughs> but like, it was one of those things where we were like, oh, this is the idea. And then as you kind of alluded to, we like had like 10 people on the product. It was terrible. I designed it, which is like, that's code never for terrible happened, just yeah. in general. Yeah. yeah, it never should happen. We did have a really cool piggy bank logo. Um, it was one of those things where um, what was interesting is like, we were about to kind of like, all right, let's launch. Like what the hell does launch mean, right? 
And all of a sudden, like this company called Bearmetrics came out, this company called Chartmogul was out. And like within like a six month period, there were like 30 different products. And to kind of make a long story short of why I think we started with pricing, it was actually a really smart thing is that we were preaching so much about like, stop, don't guess and check. Don't keep guessing, check, stop, take three, four weeks and do some research and then go because you'll go faster. And what, that's what we did is we stopped. We went, okay, let's take a step back. Let's do some market research. And what we discovered is that analytics products are notoriously terrible to sell and build. Um, it's just because people don't appreciate the time that goes into them. And then on top of that, we discovered like, oh, like no one wants to pay like that much for this product. And in a market that only has 150,000 addressable customers, like this is a terrible business. And so we were either going to go up market, which is what all analytics companies do, or we were going to go, you know, screw it, let's give up or let's give it away for free and, you know, build this thesis that I kind of explained at the beginning. So yeah, that was that was kind of the lay of the land there. I, I hope that's interesting. I think it's 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 just kind of the well. The way yeah, we I got think there. that the key thing you said at the end there that I think, uh, well, there's a bunch of things, but the experience you had with customers and actually understanding them, like qualitatively, like working with them and yeah. realizing that most people didn't do this research. They were just, you know, I love that analogy of copying off the dumb kid, right? Like that's like basically yeah, yeah, yeah. what was happening, and then doing your own research on the pricing for this opportunity and realizing no one values this, the size, like they, they don't know, at least the, the metrics part, they don't want to pay for. Yeah. And I remember having that conversation with you when you're like, yeah, we're going free on this thing. And I was like, it's pretty wild. Mm. And we're like, yeah, well, we're going to get adoption and then we're going to figure out the things that we can build that are actually driving value is super, it seems obvious now, was not the obvious path, I think, if someone were just to jump into this space and make an analytics business. Yeah, 100%. I also want to go into, I mean, you know, especially... You started, um, you had these founding advisors, you had this small team, like you never raised money, bootstrapped it the whole way. And then this opportunity came up recently to actually, you know, join with Paddle, go after this bigger thing. Let's jump into that decision. Like, how did that decision come yeah. up? What made you actually take it seriously? Walk us through it. Yeah, honestly, this is yours and Paul and Litmus's fault. Like this is Wistie and Litmus's fault, all of this. So I'm going to blame you and this doesn't work out well. No, I'm just kidding. So I, I'm just remembering fill in some context because so for folks who don't know, like Savage and I have been friends for about a decade now. And um, there's a little cohort of folks in the Boston ecosystem that we'd hang out with the Help Scout crew, um, Litmus, us, um, the Wild Bit crew out of Philly. And what's really kind of funny is like, Early on, I think we were going to dinner. I think you were there as well, like just kind of the, the founders and just like hanging out. And I remember turning to Paul Farnell. This is one of the first times like I had met him. And I was like, so why didn't you raise money? And he just went, I didn't know that that was a thing that people did like when they started that company. And I was basically, I was at a venture back startup before ProfitWell. And then that was just the inundation, like even back in like 2012, 2013, that's just like, that's what you do. Like you raise money, right? And then you guys were like, no, there's this other route, you know, that's bootstrapping and bootstrapping, you know, it's not a like better or worse thing. It's just a different thing. And I was like, oh, okay. And I think that that heavily influenced things. But the issue was as we were getting to, um, you know, 2022, as like we're in 2021, we were like, there's no way we keep going the way we want to go in terms of like the values that we have about what we want to build. And meaning like, we don't want just a very profitable business and we take the profits out. We want like to build a big ass company, right? And so there's no way we can do that or fulfill those values unless we raise money at this point um, because we were having so many $10,000 arguments, as I like to call them. Mm. Like 
we would have like, here are these five initiatives. They're all $10,000 or more. Mm-hmm. Like we're arguing about it because yeah, we could do all of them, but it doesn't always feel like you can do all of them, even though they're like, you're cash flowing so much. And so we were like, oh, well, I don't know. Like we're having just dumb arguments mm-hmm. is what, really what that means. And so we were like, we knew- You were like too regimented or too strict in your prioritization basically. Totally. Yeah. Like I know you guys know this. Like there was a point at Wistia where you guys were like, Oh yeah, we could like probably spend money. <laughs> like, you know. Oh yeah, it's happened multiple times, right? Like it's happened totally. where we're like, we're like, oh, spend more. And then when the list of things you're trying to prioritize, you know, when you have 100%. 15 things and you're trying to get down to three and then the truth is you should do 10. Yeah, that was the, the two things. It was, we know where we would invest the money. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing yeah. that we discovered. And then the harder thing was, oh my gosh, we now know what the expected ROI would be because of our sales team, because of our yeah. marketing, these types of things. And when you know those two things and you don't get more resources, that is a value decision, yes. right? Like your values as a company, right? And it was against our values. Like we wanted you know, to go big or go home kind of a thing. And so we started basically like, you know, okay, let's prep the company to do that. Let's get some things in order. We had no idea what that actually meant, which is you know a fun little lesson. But like, and then all of a sudden it was, okay, we're going to start going out. I'd known Christian, the CEO and the founder of Paddle for a while. And um, you know, he kind of got in front of it when I was asking for him advice. And he was just like, well, what if we like joined forces? Like, what if we bought you? And we were like, oh no, you can't buy our baby. It's our baby. Like we need our baby, you know? And to, 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 but then it was like- Were you putting on like a baby Bjorn just then? I just want to be clear for those. <laughs> that was my baby Bjorn. Yeah. If you were listening, Patrick just, listening. just modeled putting a baby onto his chest. And helping. Yeah, I was like, this is my child. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so it was one of those things where um, we were just like, what are we doing? Like, this is a way, like, if as long as the values align, the vision aligns, which is, you know, a big if, um, yeah, this is another way up the mountain. This is another way to get, you know, more resources. And so that's kind of what kicked this thing into gear. And then once you get, I mean, because it is a very emotional decision. Right. Also, I think to sell your your company, um, at least for me, it was yeah. right when we had the opportunity to sell. We decided not to. Brendan and I were like, we have much more stuff we want to do. We want to do it ourselves. Honestly, it felt like failure to me at that moment. And I think it was like all the things yeah. we're trying to do. And obviously, this doesn't feel like failure to you at all. That's evident. That's not even on the radar. Like this is like, oh, I'm yeah. doing more of the thing I wanted to do. Right. But like, was that hard emotionally, yeah. or has it been? Yeah. How has that been? Yeah. So to be frank, I think that we had other options. We had multiple options, I should say. Like I do feel like a failure. Like I, this sounds so crazy, but you'll understand. Maybe some of the other founders will understand. Um, I do feel like a failure on some level because it's it's a very it's a very like oh my god, I didn't create the billion dollar thing. Yeah. You know the Which the, is the five billion dollar yeah. vision. Oh, yeah. I had this ten billion dollar. I, I know it's insane. But like you kind of need that, I think, to be successful if you're trying to build a big thing. Yeah. If you just want like, great, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't think lifestyle business is pejorative, but for some reason people make it a pejorative. Yeah. But like, if you want like an amazing lifestyle, like our wild bit friends for a long time, like, that's what they wanted. They didn't want to build a billion dollar yeah. business, right? Yeah. And so it was one of those things where they they would make good money. And um, but I think for me it was like, okay, we kind of failed. But I think that there were other choices that would have made it feel more like a failure mm-hmm. because. We have a very rare opportunity in the sense of our culture aligns really well. Like the way, and you know, I have pretty strong opinions on culture. Yes. Like we're we're very aligned on the important aspects of those. Um, the product vision is 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 not just the same in terms of like features functionality, but is the same in terms of ethos. Mm-hmm. Like 
what we want to build, how we want to build those things. And then they'll like the media strategy, which is really important to us as well. Um, they're like, yes, that is what we've wanted to do. We haven't been able to do it. Like, let's just do that. Let's do it. Right. And so those are like three things that are like, we wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. And I think that I would have had, like, I'm going to have post honeymoon feelings. Like I know that that's going to happen more and more, but I think it is one of those things where like, there were other options where they were like, well, we don't really want that team Mm. or like, I basically would have a glorified director level role and everyone else would become like ICs kind of a thing. Mm. And so it was like, that would have made it worse. Um, I will say to kind of tie this off here, I'm very chatty Kathy today, um, which is good <laughs> or bad for a podcast, oh, depending on, on what you think. Yeah. I like it. Um, I will say that like the moment we thought about like one, the monetary or the financial impact for the team, like individuals on the team, mm-hmm. and we could have gotten that I mean, you guys did it with your debt round and stuff like that. We could have we could have figured that out somewhere else, but the moment we thought about that, and the moment we like got over, well, if it's more resources, is running product. I'm like doing my thing, all this other stuff, and like we're just doing the same thing in a larger vessel. Like the moment those two things kind of came into play, there was no emotional like defensiveness. There was no like anything. Like even even closer to the close, we started doing like well, combine names, what do we do with the brands? And I was like, well, of course the combined brands can be paddle. And they were like, why? I was like, well, if you just think of like a company that IPOs, like profit well, like I love the name and stuff, but it's not like, it just doesn't fit the paradigm. Right. Yeah. And also like, there's all this other stuff. Right. And so they were, I think the paddle crew was kind of surprised at how low ego a lot of these things were, because I think it just becomes very pragmatic, if that makes sense. I mean, it seems like what, to play back what I just heard, you're saying um, once you knew that everyone was really taken care of on the team yeah. and that you were actually going to just execute and do what you actually want to do faster, bigger, better. And you're not just an actual yeah. hire. Like you are actually, your teams are continuing and, and you and Faku have like come, are coming in and like really helping to drive a lot of this stuff. Then actually, yeah. you know, you, you hit this threshold. It's just like logical, rational. And I do love that framing which is very similar to the framing actually from the beginning of like, well, what will this be if this is a big company? Like, what do we need to do? Yeah. You're right. And like framing your decision that way is like, well, of course it's going to be paddle. But it's interesting to hear because I think so many people get attached to their brands. I think us also bootstrappers, like I'm obviously extremely attached yeah. to Wistia. I'm wearing yet another Wistia shirt again today. Totally. Uh, and like, you know, your personality your identity gets tied up in that. And so it can be really hard to figure out how do you transition? And it's cool to see you actually doing that. Yeah. Well, I think everyone was like, like a lot, everyone, like everyone externally was like, well, like you're, you know, cause my identity is, is not just from a spiritual perspective, like you're talking about, but actually like from an external perspective, my identity is like, like I'm in the show. It is I'm that. doing yes. all this stuff. Like I'm going to the conferences. Right. And it's like, it's one of those things where that's, I don't know. It's, it's, I think that if I was like a one person band or a one person app or something like that, I might actually have more of that. But the way that we had built, and this is where some of the culture stuff was like a long enough timeline, like your exec team, the company should be able to live without you. The company should be able to like, you should be able to get hit by a bus and you're fine. Right. And your exec team, I am a big fan of exec teams where like everyone could be a CEO. Right. And I think that's what we're walking into. There's a bunch of founders on the exec team at Paddle, which makes it like really interesting because you kind of cut through the the BS, but also like they kind of get it. 
like people aren't afraid to like roll up their sleeves and like get into stuff. And so that was like a big crossover. And as soon as those things started happening, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, let's go. This makes sense. Like the logic just kind of digs in and there's probably a couple flare-ups here and there in terms of like emotions and stuff like that. But like, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't had that like crisis of like, oh my gosh, this was a terrible mistake um, or anything close to that, if that makes That's sense. That's awesome. Yeah. So it closed two months ago, the deal. Uh, Is that right? Probably about a month, but yeah. It's a fun. month. Yeah, and yeah. then you announced now, so a month later. Um, and how did you tell the team? Like, how did you bring the team along on this journey? So, of course, we recorded everything because that's what you do as a modern day brand. Um, so we have a documentary. I don't know if you saw that even. We have a full documentary <laughs> that we No, cut. I have not. Um, yeah, it's 25 minutes. Um, the whole team just saw the final cut actually today. Cool. So we did record the announcement. And what we did, which I think is a good like task that you should do. So I'm obviously running a lot of point on these conversations with these different suitors and these types of things. And you know, we did look to raise money. So we kind of played hard mode. We went from never doing this before to kind of playing hard mode of like both trying to sell a company and try to like raise money. Um, and so what ended up happening is it kind of came to a decision point. So we kind of set a deadline and we we're like, listen, like, you know, we got number of pieces of paper and all that kind of stuff. And we brought in like our core 10 people. And how many people are on the team when this is happening? Just so that people know. Uh, we have about 90, okay. 95 total. Okay. And so we had 10 folks uh, from, you know, the, the guy who was a marketing intern eight and a half years ago and is now a director of engineering, like just that life cycle, which is insane. Um, all the way to like, you know, the person who runs our finance and ops and is kind of aware of what was going on, those types of things. And so we brought them into a room all in Boston. Um, and some of them didn't know all the details. We gave them all of the details and we said, we're going to walk out, Faku, Peter, and I, you guys argue, figure out like what you want to do. And then when we come back, um, like we'll answer any questions, but when we come back, we will argue the other side of any option that you give. Right. And so we went away, came back, all that kind of fun stuff. And, you know, we spent probably like 10 hours, like talking through everything. And then that was like the day before we signed the term sheet. So we signed the term sheet that Monday, and then you get into diligence. Then, um, you get into like the final contract negotiation. So we did a split close, which is basically you sign. And then there's some things you have to do before you close within two weeks. So we signed like on a Friday and then that Monday we had everyone come into the office and yeah, we just said, listen, like, you know, like we sold the company. Here's why kind of went through everything. And then there were, you know, I had basically 85 different one-on-ones uh, for like, here's your new offer. Here's your proceeds from the sale, all that kind of fun stuff. And so, yeah, again, like a great day in hindsight, but at the time it's like, all right, Excel spreadsheet, I have to check this off, this off, yeah. which is you know not the way that you think about these things going down. And what side did the employees um, argue? Um, <laughs> so those 10, those 10 folks, um, they did a straw poll. It was pretty split at first in terms of two options. Like they basically said, these are the two options. And then it was tight, but they did come on the side of paddle. Um, so we came in and then we kind of argued about the two options for a while. And we argued both sides a bunch. And then it was a lot of like information gaps. Like, and, yeah. and a lot of times they're just trusting us. Yeah. Like when we say like, well, what about this? And we're like, well, you got to understand if we go to this company, I know you, everyone thinks it's a darling, 
but we met them, we talked to them and like, I don't know, like it, it didn't like, do you want to be like an individual contributor there? That's not running anything. Or maybe in two years is, you know, the, the, the hundredth, you know, director of engineering or something like that. Or like, do you want to go here and like run stuff? Right. You know, and, and kind of learn and keep that cycle going. Like there was a lot of that. Right. Um, and then they trusted us and, you know, we came down on, on this was the right decision. And yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a really fascinating like conversation and, you know, surreal experience, I think is the best way to describe it. I mean, it sounds surreal. And I love that you told the story of the Excel spreadsheet, like, because like when we've done big things yeah. like this and we've had to do more of them recently, like, you basically like, all right, we got to tell everyone this stuff. And like, it's a really exciting day, but actually it's not because like right now it's yeah. meetings, it's check boxes. Yeah. And you imagine like the rousing speech and everyone walks out and they're like, yes, here we go. And the truth is there might be a rousing yeah. speech, but then it's like, it's just like a bunch of hard work and like direct conversations and like making sure people are getting yeah. the right emails. It was, it was definitely like uh and I think the whole thing, like I, I haven't had a vacation in a number of years, which I'm not saying is a good thing. Um, I was supposed to take the month of January off. Mm. <laughs> then this stuff all started in November and I was like, all right, well, that's not happening. And so I think for us, it was, it was interesting because we did that. So people signed new paperwork because a bunch of like paperwork and stuff, let's say the rest of you know April, right? Then we brought everyone to London like just outside London to like the so whole everyone's team. together, like the three, 350 people, us are, are 90 or so. And then the, you know, the rest on the paddle. Side. Oh, wow. Um, so we do a summit, which is like a retreat. We do a whole like dog and pony show. And then like afterwards it's like, Oh, we have a board meeting. We just had a board meeting on Friday. And so there was a bunch of things to like change and prep because now we're this combined company. And so it's kind of crazy because what we did in the market we're in. Um, so we raised couple hundred million dollars. The acquisition went through, um, you know, and we did all of that in like, basically we started it basically a week before the market decided to like really start, you know, going crazy. Yeah. And the board meeting, like we were like, yeah, we, we shouldn't lose sight of that, but also time doesn't stop, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you got to keep going. And I'm saying all that to say, like, I don't know. I haven't really felt it yet. I don't think because there's just so much to do. And, and like, you know, me enough to know that like, I don't know if I'm going to feel it, which is kind of screwed up. Like I kind of like worry about myself a little bit there because one thing that was really fascinating is like a couple of weeks ago, even like Peter and I were talking and he like quipped, he's like, yeah, a lot of money in the bank, still writing emails. Like, you know what I mean? And mm. it made me kind of think about it in the way of like, oh, like I, I'm not different. And that is both scary and like, awesome. Like with an exit, like, you know, a lot of money in the bank, but I'm like the same person, which, um, you know, is something to reflect on. And I haven't quite done all the reflection. Well, I on. think that's, I mean, it's, it's really well put in terms of a lot of people believe that that's the thing that's going to change their life. Right. And then it doesn't. Yeah. And it makes sense that you are the same person to me. Um, yeah, I'm also yeah, just yeah. so excited for you. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited that you like pumped, did this the way you want to do it. And I'm so excited for you that you timed the market perfectly. Like most people did. You know, not. I have such good skill. You yeah. Know, you I'm just so understand like, valuations. No, you understand Dude, hyperinflation. I, it, like beautiful minded that market data. <laughs> like, yeah, no, there's no way. You like, had all the data. You um, had all the SAS data and you understood what I was going to happen. I have all the data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of funny. Yeah. I will say on the founder point, um, 
without obviously violating um, trust of anyone. But I texted 30 people. I think it was right around 30 people. It was basically like, I can't tell you all the details, but let's say like multi nine figure exit. Um, and most of these people had had a significant exit, if not all of them had a significant exit or had like built a really nice business. And I was basically like, okay, like, do you regret the decision? Because they'd all have these exits. And half of them said yes. Now, half the, the half obviously has the money in the bank. It's, it's so, easy to say that once you, know, you have it's it. Hard yeah. to, like, true, you know? <laughs> but um, it was one of those things where one half was like, yeah, no, like I do regret it. Obviously, they have money in the bank. And so it's one of those things you got to take it a little bit in context. The other half was like, I don't regret it at all. Right. And then out of those 30, three had become, um, basically like either alcoholics or drug addicts for at least a short period of time. They're all in a good place now. And it was one of those things I realized in those conversations that like the purpose and being comfortable with like decisions is such a bigger thing than we like to talk about. Like regret minimization, I think is such a big thing. And I know you and I have had these conversations, Mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, you know, amongst our friend group, you know, someone will be like, well, yeah, I know Savage, like you want to keep going, but like, I don't know. It's a risk, man. You should take some money off the table. Like you should take the risk. That's why you should raise money and blah, blah, blah. Right. And it's, it's one of those things. And in, in this was much earlier than, than it is today in your life cycle. But it's one of those things where like, you have to have a strong sense of what you want to do and do you regret it? Like for me, I was going through this transaction. If everything I thought about paddle turned out to be wrong, I need to be comfortable yes. that like, I don't get the stock. Or like, I'll get the stock, but I'm not going to be happy or I'm going to leave or something like that. And I need to be okay with that. And that's a big bar when you really think about it. Um, other people, it's like, I don't want to work for anyone else. I don't want to work anywhere else. And so if my baby gets destroyed, that's fine. As long as I have like this amount or this whatever, right? And, and I think that that's a thing you really have to think about before. I would argue raising money and I would argue before like selling a company or something like yeah, that as well. That's great advice. It's like, how do you want to spend your time? Right. Like that's the one thing that you should be thinking about, like what brings you joy and like what keeps you up at night and like, you know, what optimize for the thing that like puts you on the path of, I think, least regrets is the right is the right call there. But it's really hard to kind of manage that because, as you said, like of the 30 that you asked, it's like half of them regret it and half of them don't. It's like 50 50. It's pretty wild. You would think that selling a company it would be something like 90% of people would be happy that they did it. Well, I think it's because we know as founders, we can rationalize anything, but we know in our souls, like whether we like agree with that or not. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we'll externally be like, yeah, man, it was the right decision. Everything's great. And internally we're like, this, this is terrible. Like this is, this was a terrible decision. It's fine. I'm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But like, whatever. I think for me, like the introspection point, like you have to have those cycles. And I think those friends around you, because one thing I didn't realize, and I realize it now, like I love my job. I am all in on whatever I'm doing. I'm not starting six things. I'm like, I am singular focused. I am like, I haven't worn any profitable swag, like in a month, like I'm all paddle swag. Cause I'm just like all in. And I knew that about myself, but that was the thing I thought would change a little bit. Like, Oh, like I have this, like, let's just say freedom, you know, now that I have a good amount of cash. And it was like, no, that didn't change. I'm at work. I'm writing emails. I was here till 10 PM last night. I was, you know, cranking, you know, just doing all these things. That's just who I am. And it's a little bit freeing because it's like, Oh, that's who I am. And and that's okay. Like, as long as I'm not like, you know, demanding that on anyone else. And I'm just, you know, demanding that on myself. But I think that's, 
the introspection that I'm so thankful I did that work like years before in order to like, you know, not fall apart, you know, the first month at least <laughs> post close essentially. And what advice would you have based on where you are now um, and what you've been through and going through the acquisition and all of this, like what advice would you have for people who are just starting today? Like how should they think about their journey to make sure that they're on a path of like, you know, maximum regret minimization? <laughs> yeah. So it's a great question. I think the thing that you have to do is, or you have to realize is that some of the things you're going to learn is going to be like wisdom. It can't be taught. But what I would do differently is I would put some milestones in my business right now. I would first, if I'm going to start today, I would say, what do I want? I want a business that just does cash flow. I'm not going to raise money. I don't need it to be big. I want to get to $100,000 a year so that I can be happy and like, you know, work 20 hours a day or a week, sorry, or something like that, right? Or I want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. I want to create something really, really big. Have that conversation with yourself. And then I would put milestones every six months for the first three years just to revisit that conversation. Because I think that guides you in a lot of your decision making. And you can add stuff like, what are the values as a company? Like, I want, you know, values being like, I want you know as little time as possible being spent on the business for growth. And maybe I'm going to spend a ton of time the first year to kind of get it moving. And then afterwards, because that'll affect, do I hire a bunch of people? Well, if I don't want to spend as much time, I'm not going to have a sales team because the sales team takes a lot of time typically, right? Like there's, there's all these things that'll, that'll be there. Um, that's a big thing. Like, what do I want? And keep coming back to that. And it's okay to change, but it's okay to refine that. I think too, um, doing probably similar introspection on yourself, like not just what you want out of the business, but what you want to learn, I think is really, really powerful. Um, I would not start a business with funding. I think that in hindsight, we should have raised money earlier um, than this exit. But um, I would start always like the first six to 12 months side project while I'm at work already, or like, you know, give myself enough runway to like get there through savings and stuff like that. Because I think that that crucible of bootstrapping um, or side project, you only can work on at nights and weekends. It forces you to be really good about what am I doing? Who is it for? What does that look like, et cetera? And you don't want to use funding to learn. I don't think you should do that unless you're building nuclear fusion or something like that. You should use funding to accelerate, not to like learn, because I think those are really costly mistakes. Um, and the third thing is just go easy on yourself. Like you're going to make so many mistakes and that's okay. Like in, it's never linear. It's always like, in, in hindsight, it's always linear. Like we did this, we did this, we did this. But even like profitable being free, like we struggled with it. We went back and forth. It was probably like one of those things that we didn't really like internalize why we did it and how we did it until like a year later. Right. But I think go easy on yourself because, you know, you're going to be hard enough on yourself. So yeah, I think those are the three things. Love that. Wow. What an answer. That was a classic savage response. I love it. Like, I know you meant it. I know you meant it, but it was like, wow, what an answer. That was great. I really do mean it. I do, I do mean it. I know, I, I know you do. I'm just yeah, giving you shit. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard. I, I mean, as you were talking, I'm thinking about the hard decisions we've made over the years and like it mm. always coming back to knowing what we want what we want from the company, yeah. what things we're going to be okay with, what things we're not going to be okay with. But it didn't start like that, right? It makes FOMO so much easier too. Totally, totally. It's like, it's like I know you have had, so I, I maybe shouldn't say these publicly. I was going to reveal all my secrets. I'm revealing all your secrets, I feel. <laughs> you, you've, you've had some offers. You, you said it. Yeah. You've had some offers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, let's say like, 
God forbid industry tanks or something goes bad after those offers. Well, yeah, there's going to be a little FOMO, a little regret, but it's also like, no, no, no. We made this decision because of this. We were considerate yeah. of that decision. And it was easy not to have that conversation or it was easy to say no yes. or whatever it is because it's not exactly what we want. And Yeah. And it's ultimately incredibly personal, right? Like it's yeah. what do you need to feel such that you feel like you've taken care of the people around you? Or maybe that's not, I would hope that's most people's priorities, but for some people that's not going to be. Yeah. Um, what do you need to feel totally. that you've taken care of yourself, your family? I mean, I think I've told you this before, but when we decided not to sell my wife, Alexander, and I had like, we had a pretty serious conversation. And it was like, I've been telling you for years, I'm working like crazy. I'm never taking vacation. Because once we sell the company, that's all going to change. And then when we decided not to take those offers, like not to do a real acquisition, I was like, okay, I guess we need to start taking vacation. Like, we, we have to start changing our lives a little bit to match like the fact that this is going to be going on much longer because if I don't, like I'm going to burn out and it's going to be too much. And so I did start taking a lot more vacation. And ultimately I learned a lesson there of like, oh, when I'm on vacation, people feel bad emailing and calling. And so more people own stuff and we actually scale because of that. And I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't realized just how important it was um, to take vacation. But that came for me out of basically regret minimization of like, well, if I'm not going to sell, and I would have had all this time that I, I have to figure out how to incorporate having that time into the business like day to day. I, I think that's totally true. I think I had a very similar conversation with Jenny when we first started dating and the business was in like, not that the stage you described, but it was in like a very, like everything's crazy. It's early days. I fear I'm just not that person. And that's what's scary. Mm -hmm. Like I have to try it. Like I haven't tried mm -hmm. it, but like, I don't know. Like I totally get the whole, well, now it's a marathon. Mm -hmm. A marathon requires different effort than the sprint. And it totally makes sense. And it's all logical, but I just feel like I'm not that guy, uh, which means so many bad things for my life. I was I'm not sure you're that and guy so, either from knowing you. Like, <laughs> I, I feel See, like that's what's scary, when you right? say that, I yeah. remember with one of those founder retreats and everyone else is like partying. And like, we've had all this, like these meetings and conversations throughout the day. And like, we've had dinner and we're going to have drinks. And then we're like, where's Patrick? What's he doing? And you're over like doing a live like AMA on, a like, yeah. on like Reddit, like <laughs> yeah, 9 yeah. p.m. at night. And then you're like doing, so I'm like, this guy's an animal. This guy doesn't stop. Yeah. And you're like, I'm sorry, this is just who I am. I'm not, so I'm not sure that guy either. Yeah, but yeah, I do yeah. think it is to that point of like regret minimization when you're making decisions totally. is just super important. I think you're spot on there. I really do mean, I think the advice you gave is legit. I think people should listen to it. Yeah. I think they should internalize it. Um, and I also just appreciate you being so transparent and coming on and talking about this. I mean, yeah. there's a lot to learn from your story and you're such a great, great person. So it's, it's great to learn from you. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, for those people who don't know you, where can they find you? Uh, yeah. LinkedIn, um, Paticus, uh, twitter.com slash Paticus. It's a childhood nickname. And if you ever need anything, just Patrick here, profile.com. I'm like more than happy to help. Awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Congrats. See you guys. I'm so happy for Patrick and the team over there. I mean, it's a wild story. It's pretty incredible. And I I think when you had told me that he sold his company, I wasn't sure sort of like what that was going to look like. And it's cool that 
it really does feel like a merger. Yeah. Is that fair? Well, I mean, also, he just obviously he's in it. He's he's extremely competitive. Um, when we were talking about those stories of like, quote, like back in the day, all these like founders hanging out. And I was saying like, you know, Patrick, it's really true. Like we all went to dinner. We were having drinks and people are in a hot tub and we're like, you know, real downtime. We're like, where's Patrick? And he's upstairs doing like an AMA. And then he's like doing work deep into the night. He's like, I can't stop myself. Like that's, he just can't, he's one of those people that cannot turn it off. Um, And I'm glad he's ended up in a place where they want him to do that. And he seems excited to do that. And he's wearing the gear and he's like, yeah, the old brand's gone. It's dead. He's he's all in. Well, he said he's like, I'm an all in kind of guy. Yes, which he is. Yeah. And I appreciated how honest he was about the whole decision making process. Like that was pretty fascinating. The sort of 10 hour, almost like you're in a war room, you know, like, do we do we do the thing? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people will take away from this interview. I think it's a good thing to take away that like, even in this case, it's like a huge decision. That is one of the things you can do is say like, all right, let's take a different group of people who aren't as close to this. Let's give them the same inputs. Where do they come out on this? And you need tools like that in your toolbox, right? Like you need you need to think about like, what are the ways we're going to get people on board with this massive thing? Or make sure that we're even yeah. making the right decision. Because up until the moment that they signed that term sheet, they could walk away. And so it's interesting that he brought us in on that process. And I appreciate what he said too, which is like for anyone when at any stage that your company's at or the company where you work is at or your career or what you want to think about, like regret minimization and trying to make decisions such that you you really are happy no matter where it ends up is so huge. And also like, you know, recognizing that like there's an input of work and there's this input of luck in the world and uh, you can't control everything and you can't control all the timing. But if you can go through life trying to make decisions where you are spending your time on the things that you want to spend it on, like in his case, this is working um, on this problem and with the team that he like really cares about. But for whatever that is for you, like finding that is kind of like the secret to a fulfilling life, right? And for, th- yeah. for me, that's how I think about all the time. It's just like, so do I want to keep building Wistia? Well, if it's fun and I'm being challenged or working on interesting things, like I could never do anything better than this, right? Like this is it. And so I also like vacation, unlike Patrick. And so it's like, and I <laughs> and I figured out how to fit that in. But I think for whatever it is that you're doing, just like trying to make decisions that way is so critical uh, because the one limited thing we do have is time. Dang. Gotta end on that note, man. Time is no man's or woman's or any person's friend. (laughs) But you know what makes people our friend? When they like the podcast or they listen to it, when they subscribe, when they share with their friends. Um, That is really helpful. We we really appreciate it. And uh, Sounded a bit like a bribe, but okay. All right. Um, No, we like that. That's great. Uh, it's not a bribe. No, truthfully. We, I mean, we want your feedback. Send it to ttlpod at wist.com. We really do. The comments make a difference. The The rankings and ratings make a difference. It really does. It really does. And, uh, you know, there's been more people subscribing to that email list. And uh, so you get more Hell exclusive yeah. content. And I don't know if we've really talked about this, but we are releasing video versions of all of the episodes now. 
We sure are. But it's been interesting because I noticed that I will watch more podcasts. Um, and partially what I often like to do is like watch a podcast and I'm not paying attention to it the whole time. But if they ever talk about something or show something or whatever, you can like pop over and see it. So we're trying we're trying yeah. to create that experience for all of you as well. We're trying to create the popover experience for everyone. We want popovers showing up on your screen left and right. We want left and right. We want popovers to the moon, <laughs> right? We just just a barrage of marketing messages, right? Is that what you mean? I'm not sure if that's I was you talking mean. about the food. I was talking about the food. But yeah. You were talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. the food? <laughs> it's time to go. We have to go, yes. Uh, great to see you, Sylvie. I'll see you soon. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com. <laughs>